driver says, that's it. We crossed the border. It was just uh, surreal, and especially because it was 18 hours non-stop adrenaline rush, I was like, I, I still was in this, you know, special mode. And, you know, not really believing totally. The Cold War competition between the intelligence services of the United States and the Soviet Union was intense. Part of the competition involved Russian spies switching sides because they were so disaffected by the truth about their country. Defecting from inside Russia often involved a complex hair-raising operation, especially when family was involved. Our guest, Olga Shemov, defected with her KGB officer husband and their daughter, escaping the Soviet Union in 1980. And the getaway was done so skillfully that the Soviets thought the couple had been murdered and didn't know they were actually hiding in the United States for 10 years. Olga eventually graduated from our alma mater, Georgia Tech, and became a successful artist. We can't wait for you to hear her story, which is jam-packed with adrenaline. But first, we want to again thank our sponsor, Culligan Water, for this season of The Adrenaline Zone. With Culligan's drinking water systems, you can get the ultra-filtered water you need to fuel your high-performance lifestyle right on tap. Learn more at Culligan.com. And by the way, if those of you on YouTube see me cloaked in darkness, it's because we recorded this during a power blackout in Northern Virginia. All right, Olga Shemov, so good to have you on the Adrenaline Zone. And you have such an exciting story, and we're very much looking forward to talking to you today. Thank you so much for having me. We're just going to dive right in. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today, Olga. And we'll just start with, you know, we like to start kind of at the beginning. And and you grew up in the Soviet Union under the communist regime there. And what was daily life like for you in that era? I was growing up in Russia and I have all these memories of beautiful white snow, ice skating, skiing. But my family was stationed at the remote naval base in the Arctic Circle near Murmansk. So I uh, lived on a military base in communal apartment with limited food. But my father managed to bring a little yellow canary in our communal bathroom to the dismay of all our neighbors. But this little yellow bird, it was like a hope for better future. But my parents got divorced. I was sent to live with my wonderful grandparents. I played piano, studied classical ballet. So in Russia, when you study classical ballet, you have a very strict rules because government pays for this and you have to be good. So they will check our jumps, turns, splits. They will check our weight, our height, everything. And uh, I performed at the factories during lunch break. It was support for people who worked eight till five or six, just bring kids there, you know, to cheer them up. And of course, on a lot of military bases, we danced in the evening and uh, we were so happy that military shared their dinner with us. So that was our perk. Soviet education was very good. Because not only we learned mass physics, literature, and everything, we learned metalworking, wood, woodworking, how to make clothing. And guys need to learn how to make boots. Uh, uh-huh. and of course, wow. But other side, we had to learn communist society rules, 
We have to go to parades, like, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning, you stand in the freezing land and you just, uh, you know, cheering the leaders. And the worst part, you have to report if somebody says negative about the Communist Party, even since childhood, that was horrible. As a young young woman, Olga, you were, if I remember correctly, pushed by the KGB to become part of their espionage operation. How did they try to persuade you and how did you handle that? So when I was in college, I was asked if I want to serve my country in clandestine way. But the condition was no family. So I said, no, it's not what I want. But then later when I graduated, I was asked to work on Olympic, uh, student Olympic Games. And there was a charming guy, team coach from Canada. And he was talking to me and the KGB guy saw this and he asked me to go with him for dinner and even more. So I just said, look, I didn't know that a Soviet citizen I encourage, encouraged to sleep with foreigners, but they still, guy insisted. And what I really did, I talked to Glenn, the name, uh, his name was Glenn, directly. And I told him, I'm not working for the KGB. So we continued the game, like we pretended we were gaining, but there was nothing really happened because otherwise I will be forced into this. And of course, Victor appeared and, and he helped me out. And I was so happy when it was all over. So that was my journey. Wow. Yeah. Mm. That's a, that's a horrible story. <laughs> that confirms uh, your worst beliefs, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh. Yes, exactly. So you met your future husband, Victor, and then you learned later that he actually worked for the KGB. So I know it's just know, ironic it's my third time in life, you know. And uh, he didn't tell me the beginning, but then I learned that he was, you know, responsible for basically KGB cipher communication security with its outpost abroad. So it was a very important position. And he was very young. And I was like, how did he get there? You know, but he was a troubleshooter. He will find solutions where other people wouldn't. And uh, he told me a very interesting story. Before entering KGB, you have to take physical, right? Like any, any place. So everything was checked and doctor told them, him, okay, you're ready to go. So he goes and then the floor goes down and he falls on the floor in the hole. And the doctors run to him and immediately checks all vitals and see how adrenaline runs. This is how they take people to the KGB. <laughs> so you have to be very susceptible to, <laughs> you know, to a stressful situation. So that was interesting. Wow. So how long were you and Victor married before the two of you decided that it was time to leave? And what was it in particular that prompted you to decide to leave uh, the Soviet Union? Yes, we were married for seven years. It, it is a very complex question. Everybody is asking this, even, you know, people who read the book. Because he saw uh, all communications, he saw the disparity you know, between really Communist Party, what people were doing and how badly people with communists treated people. And then he, Victor being very, he had to know everything. So he went and tried to get communist theory at the library and they wouldn't give it to him. So even the theory was hidden. What they took, they took from communist theory only banners, like banners which will be useful 
to convince people. And Lenin realized that by controlling media, you control population. And so just because we start seeing a lot of things and disparities, and of course, you always have personal stories. Like uh, Victor's friend, Valentin, uh, his father was very high in KGB, and he was expressing his, uh, he was making fun of his father. And he said, I'm going to leave KGB. It's, it's all bad. And so he was killed. And Victor was doing investigation. And so that really was a, you know, wake-up call. And I knew Victor already had all this understanding that communism is, is not working and it's very bad for people. And I just felt like, well, sooner or later, it's going to be dangerous. And he was friends with dissidents also. So it, was, it wasn't only us. There's a lot of people start feeling that communism is, is uh, you know, bad. And one, also, I want to tell you my personal story. I had an aunt. Uh, she was beautiful. And she lived in an apartment complex. And so then the guy from this apartment complex asked her if he wanted to sleep with her. And she said, no, I love my husband. So uh, he wrote a letter to the KGB that she said something bad about Stalin. So at night, they came and arrested her. So she's arrested for a few months. Children with family, family scrapped every money, everything we had to say to take her out. So she comes back, but the husband doesn't want her anymore because she's now tainted. She's now canceled. She's, he cannot have good career now. So this was communism. This was like, and millions of people, of course, were killed. We all knew this. And, you know, all these factors contributed to our decision. I understand it was quite a challenge for, you know, after you've made this decision, it was quite a challenge for Victor to make contact with the U.S. and Moscow. And he, and he had to find another way. It, will, it was just impossible. He will go there. And I'm like, yeah. I'm just praying, like, is he going to come back? It was just really dangerous. He tried many, many different times and he couldn't get anything. But what is interesting, Victor comes back home and tells me, I'm looking in the streets now as a spy. And he said, this is so, it's, it was something inside changed. It was horrible. So the breakthrough was when he went to Warsaw, Poland. He escaped from the Soviet embassy and got into American embassy. And it was Halloween. We've never heard about Halloween. It just was a coincidence. <laughs> and it was good because he could, he could put the hat and glasses and everything. But what actually happened, because he was uh, such an important person, he can never leave an embassy without the uh, security escort. So he, um, he went with this security escort to see the movie. And said, oh, I just don't feel well. He went to the bathroom, climbed out of window. But he also made something there that he will be able to reopen the window when he comes back. Takes taxi, goes to the embassy. People first didn't believe that he was who he was. So he had to convince these people. Then he has to go back. And they said, well, would you like, we can take you now to the United States right now. Uh, he said, no, I, will take, uh, I won't go without my family. So he comes back a few minutes before the movie. So this guy thought that Victor was watching movie, just went to the bathroom a couple of times. So it was just amazing timing, everything. But I think what he does, 
his mind was such an analytical he calculated every minute he just everything was prepared there was no no room for mistake that was happened so it was very successful and then i'm waiting for him obviously we have no communications we're not allowed when he goes abroad we're not allowed to any communications except letters and um i'm meeting him at the, at the uh, train station and i see two guys in black coats just coming to the same car and then they're running and victor comes out and they run to him i just i thought that's it i mean how do i know what happened i'm just like my heart was like you know and then they Later, I learned they just wanted some parcel and they just wanted to be friends with him. But this was the moment I understood it's not a game. It's just really, really dangerous what we were doing. Yeah, and for even for you and uh, Victor to talk about it, I mean, you couldn't do it in your apartment because somebody could be listening. You just even talk about defecting. You had to be out in the open air or something like that, right? Yes, absolutely. We, we took all our trips we went and also you know victor start looking at moscow for potential meetings so he will take me with with him and we will be looking at all these possible escape routes and what can happen uh you know learning where surveillance is and of course we talked only outside in, in our apartment it was impossible because the whole building was the kgb building and everybody was curious about Victor because he worked for 8th Directorate and that's the super, super uh, secret plan. But in Russia, there is an interesting custom. People knock on your door with a bottle of vodka. You have to open, they know you're at home because everybody can hear everything. And you're supposed to have this guy or, you know, for as many hours as he stays. Because in Russia, you cannot say, my party is from six till nine. You cannot do it. You just Come at six, whenever you leave, it's sometimes people leave at four o'clock in the morning, you know? Wow. So it's, it's a very different culture, you know? And so people were, we had a lot of people coming with bottles of vodka <laughs> to our apartment. <laughs> wow, we should be so lucky. Did you and uh, Victor actually plan the escape yourselves or was the plan given to you by the American embassy or did you just have to work out the plan together with the embassy? Yes, it was very interesting because Victor had a meeting with Misha. Misha is uh, now, it is public knowledge, David Rolf, outstanding CIA officer. And when they met, the first question was, can I trust you? Who are you? I mean, how do you know it's not KGB? So this night, I mean, I will remember forever. I mean, I just didn't know. But somehow, somehow Misha was very, he just happened to gain Victor trust. And, you know, in the field, you don't have lawyers and papers. You just have to, you know, to trust and deal with situation. So the plan was given. They basically said, how you get to the border is your, it was Victor's idea how to get to border. So he worked everything, how we get there. But they say at certain time, certain place, the car will be waiting for you. So that was the plan. So I think it was joint joint work because, uh, of course, the CIA had an outstanding Soviet desk department of operation at this time. They had an amazing crew and they worked out every details because crossing Russian border, then it was unbelievable risk. It, it just, it was guarded by dogs. It was guarded by everything. And the fact that we could 
get through, it's it's a miracle, really. So as you were planning all this, I mean, my goodness, you know, that first you have to establish the trust and then you're you're trying to plan, I mean, details because you had to be at a certain time at a certain place. And and the KGB was probably monitoring everybody in the building. So what kind of precautions did you have to take? I mean, you talked about working, you know, only talking outside. What other kind of precautions did you have to take to to keep it all quiet and secret? Victor taught me a lot. So first, you never change your routine. You just, you do the same thing. You go to the same places. Nothing different, number one. Number two, we will not change anything in conducting other people. But what he also did, so he developed this plan that eventually they will think we're dead. This was only Victor. A plan because CIA didn't believe it can happen. And this is how we lived undercover 10 years in this country because of what he planned. So we had several, several tries which didn't work. I mean, that was a crazy time. I don't know how we, we, you know, we did all this. One of the things which was very important, when we get ready, you don't touch dust. You don't in certain places where, you know, the storage is. You don't take any jewelry, anything, any memorabilia, anything like valuable, absolutely nothing. He said, we are going for two-day uh, trip to Dacha, you know, Russian countryside. So nothing of this. But what he also did, I think, is very important. He quarreled with his best friend. So the whole Moscow knew they are not talking. They are not talking because... He didn't want him to be questioned. And it was very difficult. It was very difficult to not to be with your friends, not to travel. It was crazy time, really. But, uh, you know, he just was very meticulous and everything. And uh, before I escape, I paid for daycare. I also put some, bought some tickets to the theater. So you really have to look at this with the mind of investigator. And that's what really, you know, that's what he did. So if I can ask real quick, you had a five-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. right, at the time. Yeah. And so how did you communicate to your very young child what was going on? Or you just, they, you just kind of took her along and... She wouldn't know anything. We just said we're going to weekend to see friends. But it was basically... The hardest thing was to make sure that during the crossing, she will not be, you know, crying. She has to be asleep during this time. So that was a very, very hard thing, uh, you know, for us, because Russians don't use medications, really, for kids to sleep like this. But, you know, Victor checked everything on himself, obviously. If I remember correctly, there was a moment where the fact that the CIA gave you the medications actually increased your confidence that, you know, they care enough about us and our little girl that they are willing to do this. And if I remember correctly, that was sort of a confidence builder for you. Yes, it's true. It's true. And so Victor looked and I really think that everything that CIA was doing was really uh, gave us trust and confidence, but still it was very dangerous. And I have to tell you this story. They had several meetings, Victor and Misha, and then they said no personal meetings anymore. It's too dangerous. Victor got promotion, and so he was, you know, checked and rechecked. 
And I've got promotion in this time also. So I was, I wasn't checked like Victor, but he was really followed and everything. So Victor gave a mark at the bakery, uh, the mark that, uh, you know, we are ready for, for the exfiltration operation. And then CIA should give us back sign. So a few days before the date, we are going on a, a working, uh, obviously Victor and I working in Moscow. Then we're getting in a trolley bus because the sign should be on a lamppost, you know, the, the uh, sign. So, we, and it's very important how you stand in a trolley bus. So we're pretending like we're dating. So I will be, uh, Victor will be looking in the, in the glass. I will be standing. It's just couple doing something because it is the most dangerous when somebody looks at the mark. The professionals will know if you look at the mark, and this is when they can get you. It was a very important moment. And then I looked at Victor, and his eyes like rolled. I'm like, what's happening? But he can't say anything. So we just, we just went out of this trolley, and he said, there's no lamppost there. And I'm like, can KGB take off this lamppost? But they can. I mean, if they know, they can. <laughs> so this was crazy. And then Victor said, he said his famous phrase, which was in the spy museum, we rarely make mistakes in analysis. We usually make them in an assumptions. So he said, assumption that we shouldn't go. He said, no, we're going. We're going regardless that there's no sign. That's what really happened. We, we, just, we just went with the plan without the sign from, from the CIA. Wow. So did you, I mean, clearly, did you have doubts throughout the whole process? And this was like a big risk at the very end. That must have been very stressful to... It was in the beginning, yes. In the beginning, especially when he couldn't, you know, get in touch with the CIA. But then I think you just, it, everything was so fast. Everything was extremely fast. And you just don't even think, you just like details. We had to lie on the floor in the apartment that night to, to learn the maps, learn the details which CIA gave us. Because at night, we're supposed to sleep. If we don't sleep several nights, our windows, people look in your windows. People, you, <laughs> I mean, this surveillance there is very different from understanding. You just get into these details, and you're so focused, and your adrenaline is rushing, and you just like in some kind of eerie space in the world. And it's not time. Because if you start allowing yourself doubts, you cannot succeed. Yeah. Yeah, no, so yeah. you said the word adrenaline, and we are in the adrenaline zone, <laughs> Absolutely. for sure. So you've got the sign, and now it's, it's go night when you're actually going to meet up with the CIA car. Can you briefly walk our listeners through when you left your apartment with everything the way it was supposed to be, and now you're going to go on a two-day trip to your data? How do you get out? How did that night unfold? One thing I have to tell you, seven days before escape, we had Victor's birthday in our apartment. 20 people in a small room, 140 square feet, you know, just like dancing. I mean, everybody was there. That was surreal. Guitar, music, vodka, everything, right? And we knew that's it. We will never see these people. So that was such an emotional, you know, and relatives came, grandparents danced with grandchildren. I mean, it's crazy. It's like really a Russian event. Victor went, uh, this evening we escaped. Victor went to office. And he worked as usual, finished his job, like nothing, like on Monday he has to go and report on, uh, you know, on something else. And so 
I was waiting for him. I packed. He told me how to pack, like very, very light. But we had several bags. We had changes of clothing. It was very important because that's how he really kind of mastermind the whole process. So in the evening, he comes from work. We sat at the sofa. It's a Russian custom. Before a very important trip, you sit for one minute quiet. That's very important. And then there was a rain, rain. It's also a good, good thing in Russia, like before important trip. So we're taking taxi. We're in bright clothing, like we're going to Dacia. We have like, uh, you know, everything is like colorful. Everybody remembers us. So the taxi drivers to Metro and we make sure that taxi pick up somebody else and left. So taxi didn't see where we go. So then you just uh, go to Metro, you change Metro. Then during another changing of Metro, you change clothing. I think Balaam helped me a lot to change really quickly. So now you look like all gray and kind of different. And our daughter was changing to, uh, she had like boy clothing. And you just go to another place. And we cannot come to the train station too early. Then people remember us. And also, uh, there was a very important component. We bought tickets for four people. It was very important to get uh, the whole space because there's four benches, so nobody else will be with us. But in Russia, there is so difficult to get tickets. So when we've gotten to the train, finally, the conductor the, uh, said, I'm going to put somebody in your place together. So Victor had to talk to him and bribe him. So we will stay just our family in this closed compartment. This was, the, I think, one of the hardest moments because Nobody watched us and we kind could really, we, we finally felt that that's it, we're, we're leaving, you know. And um, we just talked, we looked and, and looked in the windows like last time I'm seeing this beautiful landscape. It was, it was really time we, we allowed a little bit emotions to ourselves. Of course, we didn't sleep all night. We couldn't sleep. So we finally have to make a decision where to exit from this train. And find, we decided to exit early one station. We went to Ushgorod. It's uh, close to Czechoslovakia, uh, Carpathian Mountains. And so we had to change the another train. Obviously, you don't eat, you don't sleep. You're just like in adrenaline zone. I mean, you're just uh, in a crazy place because it's like... You don't know if somebody watching you. We constantly were trying to see if we don't know. Maybe this is all set up. How do you know? And the borders are really, really secure. You're passionate about pushing yourself to always be better. Culligan's water experts feel the same. That's why their smart reverse osmosis filtration systems do more than deliver ultra-refreshing, pure-tasting water. Their app also lets you set drinking water goals, seek water quality information, and get filtered change alerts. And with cleaner, safer, great-tasting water available right from the tap, you can also feel good about all those single-use plastic bottles you're saving from landfills. Get started with water you love today. Schedule your free water test at Culligan.com. So tell us about, you, know, you, you had to shift from the metro 
and all that. And you met up, you rendezvoused with a car and, you know, it was a crazy ride, right? Uh, where people are in different places. Tell us about that. When we finally got to the meeting place, again, you cannot come too early. You cannot come too late. You need to make sure that's the right car. So we've got there, I saw this car, and this is when my heart is like, okay, this is a moment of truth because you still don't know. That was really uh, scary. So we run there and the guy named Wojtek, he said, jump in. And so Victor and daughter, they, there was hidden department. I think they had done a great job to make this special car with secret department. But the dogs could still know that people are there. And we are going, uh, I sit uh, close to Wojtek and we, we go through this area where this like stressful commotion, border post, dogs barking. There's some kind of commands between guards, guards everywhere. And you're like, oh my God. And then we stop. We were stopped, right? So, and the guy opens the trunk, right? And he sees the trunk is empty except, you know, a couple bags. And this, this was the moment like, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I don't know. And then what actually happened? The guard heard the music. And our uh, guy was very smart. The CIA guy was very smart. He got Billy Joel tape. And Billy Joel then was very popular. And so this guy uh, said, I want this tape. You know, there was no tapes in Russia. So, so they were like talking about, oh, you've got a girlfriend. I want your tape. I mean, there's like small talk. So the guard got the tape and we've got the documents. So this one, <laughs> wow, this is, how, this is how it worked, <laughs> you know. And, and obviously when we just, the say, driver says, that's it. We crossed the border. And I just felt like I, 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 I didn't believe I like I was it was surreal. It was just uh, surreal. And especially because it was 18 hours nonstop adrenaline rush. I was like, I still was in this, you know, special mode and, you know, not really believing totally. Yeah, so so like fear, your your fear was relaxed. Your ex, I mean, you must have felt every emotion known to to humans when you crossed that border. That must have been intense. Yes, I I mean, I still don't know how this happened. I I have to tell you, it's of course, say uh, a group team done great job. Victor done amazing job, you know, to put us you know through many many hoops in Russia, and I also believe it was it was help from above really because like. To put it all together with so many dangers, so many points, so many impediments, and it all worked, I think it's just, it's basically never happened to the history of Cold War. I don't know if it's going to happen again. Wow. Wow. So how about the immediate aftermath? You're across the border, you're, you've breathed a sigh of relief, and now you've got to go somewhere. You've got to end up in the United States. And how, how did you actually progress from there back to the U.S.? Well, we traveled through Czechoslovakia. There were several cars, you know, and I'm sure there were more. We just knew about a few cars. And uh, we were driving again nonstop. The, we're still not out of danger. It's not the same danger, but, you know, Czechoslovakia, kind of Soviet Union country. So we didn't know. We again, we changed clothes and again stopped somewhere. You know, we're hungry, uh, but couldn't eat. In, in Austria, we were driving to the safe house. It was very interesting how people who trained 
they drive without lights, without noise of the car, and you just like secretly get into this amazing place. And then finally, we could get a coffee. Just, just something hot. <laughs> just sit there. Oh my gosh. It was, <laughs> so it was another day and a half. I mean, we're driving through night. I mean, it was, I don't know, altogether like, you know, a few days before, you know, we've got to, to the United States. And then obviously we've already had tickets. We already had different documents. And next day we were going to the airport. And I think something happened. Like the flight was delayed in Vienna, Austria. And of course, Victor said, oh my gosh, what if, what if, why has this happened? But you know, it just happened because of weather, I think. But you never know. It's again, you, you're again under this stress. It's constant stress. Wow. <laughs> so finally, we flew to America and to New York. And then uh, there was a special plane from the CIA director to move us from New York to, to Washington. And then our daughter, you know, the, this airplane, it was smaller and the ears, my daughter's ears were hurt. And she said, father, why you choose Dutchess so far? Our grandfather's Dutch is much closer. <laughs> yeah. Your daughter's beautiful, by the way, I have to say. I'm going to interrupt. You mentioned a few days ago when I touched base with you that you wanted to talk about a trip that Victor made to China. Was that before or after you escaped? No, this was actually before we started even thinking about our escape. I think it was very important. His career was very successful, but this was one of success stories. So what actually happened? Negotiations between Russia and China. Every time Chinese know everything. So he was sent there to figure out how do they know. And so they checked all the equipment. They've done a lot of it's all described in the book in details. But basically, at one time, Victor likes to look at things like, like the hole. So they went and looked at the building. And he started looking, why do they have these, you know, chimneys? Why do they have these chimneys there? And then he figured out, and he's, he was another guy, that the chimneys were the microphones, yeah. that everything that was in the embassy, they could hear and tape. <laughs> and the chimneys were made out of acoustic clay. But the, uh, the guy who was head of uh, station there, uh, General Turchak, he told to Victor, the main thing you discovered, that these chimneys were built in the 50s during the best relationships between Russia and China. But then, then they already prepared <laughs> 70 years before whatever, they already prepared everything. And that, that was very important. So that, that, you know, after this, he got promoted again, you know, like all his trips. And the thing is, he was there seven months. We were not allowed to talk on the phone. Our letters were perlustrated. And I was questioned by CIA, uh, by KGB guy. I was, had to meet with him and say, do you miss your husband? I said, yes. Do you want him back? I said, yes. Or we can write a letter now that it's too long. And of course, I have to say, oh, no, she has to serve the country. Oh, you know? my gosh. Like you because it was provocation. Because some women did this. And this, this will be provocation. So his career will be like, you know, you don't have a reliable wife. And that's very important. So I'm just saying, life there... Uh, 
and especially he worked in the headquarter, this inner tower of the KGB, like the secret of the secret places. So we, we lived under surveillance all the time. When you got to the States, you were in hiding for a while as well, which isn't quite the same as being under surveillance, but it's still stressful, you know, being in hiding and you changed your identity, you had to get adjusted to a new country and a new culture, a new society. So I imagine it was maybe not quite as stressful, but still stressful to make all those adjustments when you got settled. Is that the case? It was very strange situation because, yes, we changed everything, but you are kind of in a, in a circle. It calls invisible circle, which American intelligence did. So the lawyer worked with CIA, the accountant worked with CIA, people at the, uh, I went to Georgia Tech, the professor worked with CIA, Victor went to, uh, went to Emory Business School, there were people there. So we were like all surrounded. And the CIA psychiatrist, uh, what a psychologist decided to talk to me and he said, why are you not depressed? <laughs> I said, why do I have to be depressed? I didn't even know what depressed means in <laughs> Russia. We don't know these words, you know. And, and, and I said, uh, <laughs> he said, but you know, you just live in such a strange environment. I said, look, there's so many interesting things with travel. Victor took me to fly over Lake Lanier on this bumpy, bumpy place in small Cessna. You know, two people, two people Cessna. So that was hilarious. But I'm just saying, and it was also adrenaline rush, but in a different way, adrenaline rush, yeah. you know, yeah. more yeah. pleasant. Yeah. 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 So we went to sailing school. You know, we were just learning life. We were traveling. We will go in the car and just travel. And, and obviously English wasn't that great. One of very interesting ex experiences, Victor went to, you know, fill up the car. And I'm standing there and come, a guy comes to me and starts to talk to me. And I really, you know, like, and then he said, you have an accent. I said, yes. Where are you from? And I looked at him and I, I'm not allowed to say. So I'm saying, well, from Europe. He looks at me, looks at me and he said, I think I know where it is. So the people there, they had no idea. They didn't travel south, right? And so I thought, I can be safe in this country. That would be fine. So, yes, it was. But one of the very interesting psychological thing, I think, for people, if anybody in the future is going to be in undercover, you cannot measure time. You cannot measure life. Like, you know, like in five years, you can call your people and say, oh, where do you work now? Or your college kids or your school people, or, you know, friends. But here you're in vacuum. You don't know anybody. You cannot compare what happened to these people. And you, it's very hard to make friends. In college, yes, but it was, it's very different. So isolation is, is, uh, puts really stress on you in, uh, when you live undercover. So when I was a, uh, a Top Gun instructor, I had the opportunity to work with a Russian pilot who defected named Viktor Belenkov. Mm -hmm. he, he left in a MiG-25. You may well have met him. Yeah. And the thing that convinced him that you know, the United States was real was when he got to go to a shopping center, a, a, a food market, uh, uh, <laughs> actually an Albertsons. And he said, this is fake. This, you're just showing this to me. It's fake. And the people who were handling him, put him in the car and said, drive us anywhere you want to go. Take us anywhere you want. And we'll go to another shopping center. And he knew that it was real when he went to another shopping center and it was just like the other one. What Olga, for you, was the thing that told you this was real? Or what was the biggest surprise for you when you got to the United States and experienced this society? 
I would say cultural differences. We lived in the South, lovely neighborhood. Most women don't work. And then they told me, please come to our garden party. And this wasn't vodka until four o'clock in the morning. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so garden party. So no, I'm, I, I took it literally. I had no idea. So I took my, you know, put my rubber boots. I, I shovel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to the party. It. That is so funny. And they told me, and they told me, oh no, we're just talking about gardening over there. <laughs> so that that was like really really funny. But another thing, what I think is big difference is personal space. Like you go in cocktail party. We went to Emory Emory University cocktail party. People have more space. They respect personal space. In Russia, I think because of people, small places, people stand so close to you. But in America, that would be offensive if somebody really stands so close to you. Also, of course, we didn't know about small businesses, middle-class America. That was, you know, this is something like in the South, we, we, were just, we just loved it there. I mean, everything was real. People smiled there a lot. Uh, so it was it was amazing, but Victor learned uh, cultural difference in a hard way. So in our neighborhood, happened to be a German guy, but at this time in South, you meet somebody and you say, "Let's have lunch." It doesn't mean you're gonna have lunch. It's just like it's say goodbye. It was like nice way to say goodbye. So uh, Victor meets this German guy. They talked, and then Victor says, "All right, let's have a lunch somewhere." So the guy takes a notebook and he says, when, <laughs> where? <laughs> <laughs> That's very German. So I said, okay. <laughs> so that was, you know, it. that was really good. Uh, but the only thing I really didn't like, uh, children, uh, children commercial. I think children shouldn't tell parents what to buy. We never had this uh, in, in over there. So I have to ask you, you mentioned Georgia Tech. So how, how did you end up at, at Georgia Tech? What was the road to... To, well, to be a yellow just, jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yellow jacket, yes. Yeah, we were taken to, you know, uh, to all this again. We um, never saw real games before, so that was amazing. Yes, but um, I, I always, you know, I come from the family of artists, seven genera five generations. And so I wanted to learn industrial design, human factors. And so design school was amazing because it was 30 people, and you work as a team, you bring your design, put it on the wall, and everybody tears it apart. You know, this was a real, real good time to learn. What I also still remember, Georgia Tech is an amazing school. It's really mm -hmm. so advanced. So then we read the third wave by Alvin Toffler and uh, watched Blade Runner movie with Harrison Ford. It was our sco school program. And we were told that, remember, in like 15 years or more, we all be sitting with electronic devices alone in rooms. And the whole class was laughing. He said, this is not going to happen. It's all happened. We're all now attached and addicted to electronic <laughs> devices. So Georgia Tech already knew then this is what's going to happen to society. But I was so proud. I made also a toy over there. And it was a very funny toy with a uh, witch flying broom. And so she was walking in and jumping in the little house uh, that was on funny project. And of course, we do done lamp. We designed the interior design for 
trucks. I mean, we've just done amazing projects. So it was a very good time. I really enjoyed being at Georgia Tech. Wow. So Olga, you are an amazing woman, and this has been a fantastic oh my discussion. God. I, can't, I, really I cannot believe, you know, we, we've talked to so many people about adrenaline rushes, but I can't imagine what it must have been like for you escaping and then coming here and, and doing all of the things that you've done since then. And so thank you so very much for being with us on this podcast. It's been a real delight. And uh, thank and you. you it, it, is, it, uh, it is my pleasure. And I really enjoy your podcast, Adrenaline Zone. And I watched some of your episodes too. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank yeah. you for that. Okay. <laughs> All right. it's, been it's been delightful meeting you and thank you for being on the show. I really thank enjoyed you. Your story. And come and come just... for Russian uh, come for Russian dinner to my house. Yes. Can, can, yes, yeah. I'm sure you tried some food in Russia. Yeah. 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 Be right. careful what you ask thank for. You. you might just get it. Okay. Yes, <laughs> I would love I'm serious. I do this for people. I'm gourmet cook. Yes. Okay. Oh my More. goodness, definitely. Yes. <laughs> okay. When when you you know, both in Washington, please. All right. All right. Thank okay. you. Thank Bye -bye. you. Our guest has been Olga Shamov. What an amazing story. I'm Sandra Magnus. And I'm Sandy Winnefeld. An amazing story indeed. Thanks again to Culligan Water for sponsoring this episode. Check them out at Culligan.com. And please pass the Adrenaline Zone around to your friends. And we'll see you next week for this season's final episode.